0: Teaching children to notice, articulate, and manipulate the smallest sounds in words can pay huge dividends in getting readers off to a strong start with both reading and writing. This quote from Shifting the Balance will help us kick off part one of episode two of Curious in Kindergarten. To get us started today, we will be speaking with the Thames Valley Speech and Language Pathologist, who will help us learn more about the development of the Soundwall lessons and share information about resources that are available to educators. Hello, we'd like to welcome Nancy Comiso, one of uh, Thames Valley's amazing SLPs to the podcast today. Welcome, Nancy. Hi, Belinda. Thanks for
1: having me today.
0: We're so glad to have you here on our second episode where we're talking a little bit about early literacy and specifically digging into the sound walls. So with our first kind of question is, kindergarten educators have been very interested in the learning opportunities that are being offered around sound walls. Could you share with us a little bit about what inspired the development of this tool?
1: Oh, of course. So how did we start on this crazy sound wall journey that we never anticipated would grow to be so popular? Well, like yourselves, the SLPs work in many buildings, and with that comes the opportunity to see the needs of both students and educators across those buildings. So when we support our educators in the area of literacy, we often hear two common messages. How come I didn't learn this stuff in Teachers College, and where do I find the resources? So when the first lockdown came, we decided that an opportunity was available for us to fill that first bucket, which was knowledge building. So some members of the SLP department offered coffee hour series on phonological awareness. This turned out to be very well received by educators and my partner in crime, Jennifer Gould and I were presenting our very last session in the series and one educator took what we were saying about connecting sounds to print and wondered about the value of using sound walls in her classroom. A huge shout out goes out to Ashley Gillespie, an educator at Westfield, because her comment was the spark that drove us to explore this instructional tool and its impact on learning about sounds and letters. I had personally attended a Soundwall session years before and found that it was pretty good and rooted in evidence, but I couldn't see that it was going to be something that our educators would connect to. But fast forward to the fall of 2020, when educators were being faced with teaching sounds and letters with their masks on, and the value of the sound walls was slapping us right in the face. On top of that, Carrie Kernahan had reached out to us to begin a literacy collaboration, and the need for the sound walls kept coming up into the conversation too. So we did a deep dive into the research, and although there are resources out there that are commercially available, we wanted to create something that reflected our SLP lens and our desire to see PA embedded into the instruction of the alphabetic principle. And with that, the fantastic expertise of Brianne Gillespie and the eagle eyes of Leah Schwartz and Truber, we came up with what you now see today on some of our TVDSB walls. So that's
0: the story. It's wonderful that it came from Thames Valley educators and Thames Valley specialists like you so that we know it really connects to maybe the needs that we're seeing in our classrooms. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that journey and yeah. that story.
1: And we are trying to be really responsive to what educators are saying as they put it into practice and we're so we're changing that tool as we go we'll have version 8.0 i'm sure along the way but it's always in response
0: to educators it's like we're responsive to our learners and then when we're making those tools Mm -hmm. we want to be responsive to uh what those educators are seeing out there in their in their classroom practices educator teams may hear terms such as orthographic mapping phonemes, and graphemes. Could you share with us a brief description of these? Sure. At first,
1: when we started this journey, we were reluctant to use those terms. as We didn't want to scare anyone away. But <laughs> I remember reading a fantastic quote from Dr. Anita Archer, who said, teach the stuff and cut the fluff. So let's get right to it, right? So we started using those real terms and realized that even our own students can handle some of those terms too. The first two are super easy, I think, to explain. So phonemes are the individual sounds that we hear in words, but graphemes are the letter or letter teams that represent those phonemes. So the best way to think about the terms is that the phoneme is what you hear and the grapheme is what you see. So a grapheme can be a single letter like the letter L or can be a group of letters like IGH, which represents a form of the long I sound. Now, the term orthographic mapping is a little more complicated. To understand this term, we look to Dr. Airey's theory of orthographic mapping. Orthographic mapping involves the formation of those letter sound connections to bond the spellings, pronunciations, and meanings of specific words into our memory. So, I like the phrase that I've seen before every word wants to grow up to be a sight word. But David Kilpatrick kind of believes that this expression maybe can be changed to every word wants to be a stored word, which acknowledges how we want to have that word recognition become more automatic, a.k.a. stored in our brain. And how do we do that? Well, we want to make those letter sound sequences more meaningful through connecting PA and practice. And linking all the four parts of our brain, without going into a brain science thing, but all the four parts of our brain that support reading, which is phonemic awareness, the articulation of those words, the meaning of those words, and the letter sound knowledge, and bringing them all together to create automaticity in word
0: recognition. I really like that concept of like a stored word and then how we get there right through that repetition, that practice, those authentic learning experiences, which we'll have the chance to talk to a classroom educator later in the podcast. I really like mm-hmm. uh, that introduction of that term. Thank you.
1: And I think this is, will be a tough one because we've always learned that we just ha- have to memorize those sight words, but really there's so much more involved in the instruction of those words and it includes Mm -hmm. phonemic awareness.
0: So when we are talking about phonemes and phonemic awareness, how does this differ from phonological awareness?
1: Okay, so great question, as we do find that those terms are confusing for people. So once again, a phoneme is the smallest unit of sound. So when we talk about phonemic awareness, we are talking about those sound level skills that we teach to help our learners recognize that words have a beginning sound, an ending sound, and a middle sound. Phonemic awareness tasks also include segmenting, blending, and manipulating sounds and words. But on the other hand, phonological awareness is a more broader term and encompasses learning about those larger units like the words and sentences or syllables and words. In other words, the term phonological awareness is considered like the umbrella term but phonemic awareness skills are more specific set of skills that are focused on the phonemes or the sounds in words. And it is these phonemic awareness skills that are most strongly correlated with successful reading and writing.
0: And really with those youngest learners, right, as they're just getting to know those letters, those sounds, recognize all of those symbols, bringing it down to those smaller parts, like you said, that beginning sound, that ending sound, it's so key Mm -hmm. to that.
1: Because often kids just think a word is a word and then we have to teach them that actually words can be broken into those smaller parts. And that's definitely part of that kindergarten learning for sure.
0: Research and practice used to focus on teaching phonemic awareness without letter sound correspondence or before introducing the letters. What have we learned since then and what does that mean for the daily planning of instruction?
1: Yeah, we've been reading, reading and reading more. I'm sure you have too. And we have learned Than working on any skills in isolation actually slows the progress of learning. So yes, the more that we can incorporate PA skills with our teaching of sounds and letters, then the quicker we will see the learning happen. For example, an educator may be doing a beginning sound sort after teaching the phonemes, mm, and, and connecting the sort to the graphemes that match those sounds is key, as well as asking the students to write the sound. So doing all the things at the same time can really help lock in that learning. And then when you get to a more complex PA skill, like teaching segmenting of those words, you could practice the say it, chop it writing routine, which emphasizes the value of having kids pause and think about the sounds and the words first before they're rushing to write the words. So in terms of thinking about how PA instruction fits in within an instructional day in kindergarten, I see educators who like to use transition times to do those oral tasks, and we also like it when we see educators do those quick PA drills as warm-ups to working on introducing a new sound or letter connection. So, it's even better when the PA drills match your phonics instruction. For example, if you know you're introducing the phoneme, "mm," then do some of those PA skills that really sort of hit home the teaching of that phoneme as well. It's also a great way to spark their thinking and sounds before you get down into looking at the letters and how they work within a word. Educators can ask their SLPs to show them where to find some of those tools such as the two-minute PA drills, or the PA recipe cards, which we know educators love too, and those are some great resources to have on hand to target PA during the day.
0: As we know, learning in kindergarten, it really does occur throughout the day. Um, we might set aside those large intentional blocks, but yes, we don't want to just visit our sound wall in the morning, right, or or visit that skill for a short period of time. I, I love the idea of adding that into your classroom routines, your intention getters, do it outside, do it down the hall, mm-hmm. so if, um, Some great tools out there. So, really, as a kindergarten educator working with, you know, that three to six year old age range, what skills or concepts should I really focus on or maybe spend the most time offering, you know, that direct instruction, that practice?
1: Great question. And what we do know is that the research is loud and clear on the value of those specific PA power skills, we'll call them, which are sound blending and sound segmenting and sound manipulation. And reading is is just sound blending, but with letters rolled into it, right? So if I'm going to read a word, I need to see the symbols, say the sounds, then squish those sounds together to read that word. So sound blending practice is really valuable in getting kids primed and ready for that auditory skill. And then we incorporate the letters, of course, to make that more meaningful as the reading process. But on the flip side, In order to be a good speller we need to hear the word then segment that word into its individual sounds and then connect those sounds to the letters that we see sound blending and sound segmenting are just two sides of the same coin, really like reciprocal skills kind of like if you think about math terms addition and subtraction both are critical to reading and writing and having said all of that we have to remember the developmental continuum and children who are really struggling with these sound lever Sound level power skills, they may may need to work more on some of those easier skills. So, we have to keep that in mind and meet our learners where they're at at along that continuum. So, maybe they're working just on identifying beginning sounds because they can't chop up words. Or maybe we have to go even bigger to bigger units, like working on blending syllables together to really help them do that auditory skill, but with larger units of sound. So, those things are really important because you have to understand the progression of phonemic awareness or phonological awareness in general to really know how to move your kids along that continuum to target what they need.
0: Uh, your team has created that nice scope and sequence. And we have that wonderful staircase that kind of shows those various stages that learners might move to. Of course, we know in kindergarten, nothing is ever super linear. Sometimes they move ahead, sometimes they, they move back. But I really like how you draw it back to, to knowing your learner and then tailoring or targeting what instruction or maybe what focus you'll do with that with those learners.
1: Yeah, it's kind of thinking about what it, what that explicit instruction is maybe with the whole class and how do you do certain things specific to the needs of your um, other learners on a small group or individual basis? Because we know that and we absolutely don't want to think that that continuum is lockstep either. You're right. But yeah, meeting meeting everyone where they're at is so important, especially in kindergarten.
0: So one of the fun aspects that the children really love to do, you know, is locating, you know, their voice box and um, Mm -hmm. finding out where all those sounds happen within their mouth, within their throat. Why is that such an important strategy or, or tool for the children to practice and have? They do love talking about the voice box, actually. That's a, good, mm-hmm. that's a funny one. I really like
1: um, Mary Dahlgren's quote that she, she says that teaching the speech features can act like the mental Velcro that helps to stick the knowledge of sounds to the knowledge of graphemes. So we want those two things to stick to really make a solid phoneme-grapheme connection. And we know our brain is wired for language, but not wired for reading and writing. Therefore, we need to use that multi-sensory approach to learning that helps make these chicken scratch symbols meaningful for the, for our learners. And so talking about speech features and linking them to the grapheme is like turning up the volume on the sound a little bit. And attending to those speech features is even more important when it comes to learning about vowels. They are super tricky for kids. And if you look at the vowel valley on a sound wall, you'll see why, because some of those vowels are really closely positioned, so they're kind of made in the same way, and we give them that opportunity to really hone in on how those sounds are made, so what they can, when they're connecting those sounds to print, they can really think independently about what they're doing with their mouth when making those sounds. If you visit the SharePoint, you can see a really good example of using a short vowel song in the classroom. And my educators that have done it have really found that that's helped
0: those tricky phoneme grapheme connections for our learners. And sometimes the way we we make our mouth move or we activate it, right, could send us maybe to the wrong letter sound or that, that connection. So having that practice, that repetition, and those images up can really help Mm -hmm. children navigate you know the different sounds and maybe be a little bit more more accurate or more easily able to find what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. What parts of the sound wall lessons provide key information and learning for kindergarten children based on that scope and sequence that we talked about earlier. So as a kindergarten educator, if I'm looking at your lessons and I'm thinking of hanging up and creating my uh, sound wall, where do I really want to focus my attention?
1: Great question. So the sound wall lessons are cumulative. So we believe that the first five groups of lessons are the work of kindergarten. These Mm -hmm. are the lessons that teach those simple consonants and short vowels. And we know that the lessons are long, we wanted to include the breadth of what can be done to really help that learning stick. Consider these lessons like a a visit to our buffet, favorite buffet restaurant or something, so you know that you can eat everything on the menu. But if you want to pace yourself, then maybe you're going to start with just your favorite or technically our favorite. The key parts of the lessons that we think are the most critical are introducing the phoneme by teaching those articulatory features of the sounds And then asking your kids to discriminate those learned sounds, one from the other. And then finally incorporating that letter formation piece, which is known to be a valuable component to locking that phoneme-grapheme connection into our brains. The other part that's really important to note about the lessons is that the scope and sequence includes the teaching of four simple consonants for every group. So four simple consonants and then inserting one of those, a teaching of a short vowel. And the goal of this is to get children to begin to see how sounds and letters work. We want to make it me, we wanna help them to understand why are we actually teaching them this stuff? And it's because those consonants and then a vowel can then be created to build words and see words, and that's how it makes it more meaningful for them. And of course, we have incorporated PA within those early lessons. So that we're still encouraging those power skills. So even though you're not asking kids to segment or blend, you as the educator really modeling how that
0: works and layering those steps until they're ready to do it themselves. And that modeling piece, especially in kindergarten, right, is is so key that, you know, you again, yeah, you're showing children there's there's a reason why we're learning this and showing how it can be connected to some of that authentic learning. Maybe they're doing in play, bringing it back, connecting to the sounds that you've already learned. And yeah, once they're able to build and make those words, I always see that engagement light right up when they start to make words on their own or read those simple uh, CVC words. So it's nice that you've created that combination in the lessons where you get a few consonants which we know are so important. And then that vowel to help encourage that next level, especially for those who are ready. Mm -hmm. We kind of talked about how the sound walls encourage, you know, that multi-sensory approach to learning sounds and letters as children are building towards, you know, that automaticity. What kind of tools or materials or manipulatives would you recommend that educators have on hand or maybe have available in the classroom? Do you have any go-to tools, manipulatives that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, it's a long list, but I, got, I have my must haves for sure. But all children we know respond when you do that multi sensory approach to learning for any skill level, right? So when it comes to that, making that sound letter connection stick, We love incorporating those whole body tasks like jumping to do segmenting of phonemes using your fingers to do that counting so you don't need to buy any of those things just (laughs) incorporate those into your instruction the word cheer is is a loved thing by all kids to chop up words by touching your head for the middle sound your mouth for the sorry head for the beginning sound your mouth for the middle sound and your legs or your shoulders for the ending sound And when listening for sounds, especially with kiddos that are maybe in need a little bit more, manipulatives are there because those manipulatives are there and they make that sound concrete. So using objects such as counters or Unifix cubes or poppets or, um, and especially Alconin boxes, those are those sound boxes that have kids tap the sounds as they hear them, are a must have, I think, on hand. And of course, a good word list right? You want to have those word lists ready to go if you're working on all the words that start with a book or all those CBC words that are hard for everybody to think of on the spot. But if we've got a good word list, that's really valuable too. And we also like pictured objects or that can be set out as invitations so that kids can start to explore the sounds that you've already explicitly taught So if you work on. Those hmms those first sounds in the in group one lesson or something then put out pictured objects that sort of have those beginning sounds and of course we want our learners to begin to make the connections to letters so graph having those Magnet letters are a great learning tool to give them access to and dry erase boards and sky grass ground writing, writing maps are so important. And I'm starting to use Etch-a-Sketch doodle boards, uh, but they're also something to make things a little bit different for a student. Our students, I really find that they're making things, changing things up at centres is really helpful too. And um, we've also created lots of versions of the sound walls, mini cards and cards that don't have all the information. And we've really seen lots of educators putting that into practice within centers or within play. So that's exciting to see.
0: And just like we kind of offer that concrete or um, the ability to move around, move our bodies when we've been mm-hmm. teaching you know, some of those early counting and math skills, it's just as important for us to do that to help make these early literacy understandings sticks. Yeah, I love the idea of getting physical because our bodies are free. They're all right there. But again, yeah, providing things like you talked about, the counters, the poppets, all of those things, just another way to allow children to get hands on. Yes, In kindergarten, documentation and observation are so key to our assessment practices, helping notice and naming that learning and moving children forward. But are there any other types of ways that you recommend that educators maybe collect data or how we could use our observations to support the work with sound walls? Yeah, great question. Um,
1: and I, I kind of see it in two parts. So it's kind of a little bit of a tricky question because I think that your observations as an educator and your documentation can only be effective if you sort of understand what you're looking for and if you understand how those skills develop. So I've often spent time with educators helping them to understand these critical skills and how they develop, that will help them be more aware of what they're looking for in their in their learners, right? So helping mm-hmm. them to understand how PA develops, how letter sound knowledge develops, can also help them to track their progress and choose a next step in learning. So we believe strongly that data drives instruction. So we think that it's important to use phonemic awareness a screener or phonological awareness screener to help you have some baseline knowledge of where your children sit at along that PA continuum. And even the same thing for letter sound knowledge, because these are really valuable pieces of information to really give you an idea of how what what you're going to target as a whole class and what small group or individual needs are out there within your classroom. And so we like the PA planning tool, which is something that It has those steps within the PA continuum, but allows educators to put names under different skills so that they can kind of keep an eye on those particular skills for those kids. And so when they ask, when they're doing those PA drills sort of at transition, they can track those responses with their students so that they can monitor that progress. We also encourage educators to really attend to the authentic writing samples that our our learners are putting out, right? They're just, we're not making them write things, but if there's, if they start to do those things, they're driven to want to try to put down their sounds to paper as they're learning. And so what our children put down on paper is the window into their PA skill development and their letter sound knowledge. So when I see a child writing the word BAT with the letters B and T, then I know that my next step in learning for that student is developing their segmenting skills, helping them to really listen for those middle sound and words. And of course, in kindergarten, I won't expect maybe that that vowel is going to be perfect, but at least they're hearing something that's sandwiched in the middle of those consonants really helps me to get them moving along that learning continuum. But if you're like many educators and you really want to incorporate this learning within the classroom because you know that this is work worth doing, and we all think it's work worth doing, then um, we have so many learning opportunities, professional learning series on our SLP SharePoint, because I do think, going back to my first point, that your knowledge as an educator in how these skills develop and what you can do to help those skills develop is really important and will help you be a better observer and documenter of those skills in your classroom. Mm -hmm.
0: Having that background knowledge or that overall understanding of, yeah, those progressions, those different skills you're looking for definitely can help support that documentation, those observations. So much data does happen during play. I really like how you added in that part about those authentic writing experiences, you know, having those clipboards and pencils just out in your room, encouraging children to draw and label. And that will definitely give you a good window into how they're applying those skills that you've been practicing in connection to your sound wall. And starting with that educator screener, I think, is a great way to determine, again, what are you going to target with your whole class? Maybe what are you going to pull in with your individual learners? And remembering, too, that we have that whole two years of the kindergarten program, right, to progress through these skills. So, again, that practice and repetition isn't going to hurt. um, But then how do we maybe extend those learnings thanks for inviting me to talk today. It really is something that
1: we as a department are really passionate about. And I just love that we as our two portfolios can really sort of bring our brains together to help because ultimately the goal is that we want our learners to grow and learn. And uh, especially with learning recovery, we want to do this in a more effective and productive way.
0: And that is the beauty of the sound wall in a way for our kindergarten um, educators and our children is that it does take that asset lens that the kindergarten program takes, right? It has so many entry points for those three to six-year-olds. And again, like Nancy suggested, talking about that data match with your observations of what the children are saying, doing and representing, you can really tailor and focus that instruction that's going to to move them along their journey into becoming, you know, readers and writers as they uh, grow older. Thank you for sharing about all those wonderful tools that the SLB team has available. To locate the many sound wall resources Nancy referenced, visit the Speech and Language SharePoint site early literacy section. Please follow the link on the Kindergarten Toolkit to listen to part two of this episode, where I have the chance to speak with a classroom educator about how she is incorporating sound walls into explicit instruction, play, and inquiry.